Hello, everyone. This is Jim Hughes with AFIO Now. We are a program of recorded interviews with current and former intelligence officers. And today we have a delightful guest. He is our first foreign guest. His name is Itai Shapira. He is a retired colonel in the Israeli Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, he held a number of senior positions, uh, including the head of their Devil's Advocate uh, section. He has an BA and an MA from Tel Aviv University, and he's working on his PhD from Leicester University in the UK. Shapira, welcome to AFIO Now. Ah, thank you, Jim. Good. Thank you for having me. Shapira, you've chosen a very interesting topic um, for today's conversation. And if I understand correctly, it's actually the uh, thesis topic for your PhD. Yes, I, uh, my thesis topic is the Israeli national intelligence culture or the culture of Israeli intelligence. And I think that if I tried, you know, to recollect one of the reasons for choosing this topic is after being, you know, in military intelligence service for 26 years, I've always felt that there was something special, something very unique in the Israeli approach towards intelligence. And I've felt this and I've acknowledged this in our everyday work. And this was definitely very vivid when we had conversation with foreign uh, friends and counterparts. And after 26 years of practice of intelligence, I just felt that I had to give it a few years of theory. And then I began researching and I recognized that there is some sort of gap in the literature about national intelligence cultures. So what I've tried to do and what I am trying to do in my thesis is sort of bridge the gap between two issues. Because I found out that there is a great research about national intelligence cultures. National intelligence cultures meaning the system of beliefs, of values, of approaches towards intelligence. So there is quite a bit of research about American and about British intelligence cultures. Uh, a little bit about European intelligence cultures, even about Russian, Chinese, Indian, but almost no structured academic research about the Israeli national intelligence culture. So this is one side of the equation. The other side is that there is an extensive and broad literature about Israeli intelligence. Most of it is published in Hebrew. Most of it is not academic, it is more professional. But there is really an abundance of literature about Israeli intelligence but not one using cultural lens. So this was my motivation for my thesis, trying to bridge the gap, a lack of, of research about Israeli national intelligence culture, and trying really to look through cultural lens about Israeli intelligence, about, and here I refer a little bit to the tradition of uh, Sherman Kent, to look, about, to look for Israeli intelligence organization, process, and products through the lens of culture. And I must say, just to end this short introduction, that after being in 26 years of service, I'm finding out so many new things about Israeli intelligence, mostly, I believe, because I've chosen uh, the data collection method I've chosen. Uh, the empirical findings are based on elite interviews. So I've had the privilege of interviewing in the last few years former prime ministers in Israel, ministers of defense, chiefs of general staff, chiefs of the military intelligence, directors of Mossad, directors of Shabak, the other Israeli, uh, two Israeli intelligence uh, services, and elite interviews, which, by the way, I think are a little bit underused in intelligence studies, provide, I think, such a rich uh, foundation 
for understanding cultural phenomena. So this was my motivation. And as you can probably see, I'm enjoying it. That's a great uh, introduction, uh, Shapira. Tell our audience a little bit about the relationship between theory and practice, between intelligence and decision-making. Yes, I think that the, the Israeli approach to all these two issues naturally is, is rather unique, definitely unique compared to the British and to the American one. In terms of theory and practice, I believe in that sense, the Israeli national intelligence culture is a, a reflection probably of Israeli strategic and military culture, and even an extreme reflection of that. While Israeli intelligence is mainly, you know, an intellectual enterprise, an intellectual project, the Israeli intelligence community, more or less, by the way, comprised of three major organizations, the Israeli defense intelligence uh, or military intelligence called AMAN, uh, Mossad, the Foreign Intelligence Service, also in charge of special operations, and Shabak, the Domestic Intelligence Service, also in charge of special operations. These three organizations, which are, by the way, I must mention, they, are, they operate as a community de facto, but there is no statutory basis in Israel for an intelligence community. In Israel, there is no structured or formal management of the intelligence community as a whole. But what I see in this research I'm conducting is that through all these three major intelligence services, and again, all of them are intelligence services with operational roles and missions, a very clear and strict aversion towards theory, aversion towards doctrine. Practice always, always precedes theory. This is not, by the way, I think, anti-intellectualism, but I think the sense of urgency the sense that Israeli intelligence is called sometimes the first line of defense in Israeli national security strategy and doctrine. It causes, and combined with Israeli strategic culture and military culture, combined with the Israeli culture writ large, which usually prefers practice over theory. I sometimes say that for us Israelis, in Hebrew, it sometimes says, says the word philosophical, it means impractical. You know, there's a good, there's a famous saying that there's nothing more practical than a good theory. Uh, there's a joke in Israel that Israelis say, in theory, this sentence might be correct. In practice, it never works. So in Israeli intelligence, there is an aversion towards theory. An, an interesting example for that is, for example, in Israel, which has a very rich, I think, uh, uh, background in history and intelligence, there are no academic intelligence studies programs. None. There are some courses taught in the academia, but no academic intelligence studies programs. The organizations hardly develop intelligence theory, hardly see intelligence theory as something that is very much useful. And if I, if I can use a model which is sometimes used in, in studies about military culture, there are studies about uh, different models for military innovation. One is called through anticipation, meaning you develop a theory about the future and then you manage yourself, and the other one is innovation through adaptation, meaning you constantly adapt. The Israeli intelligence community and Israeli intelligence and innovation is very much inclined towards through adaptation. Most of the Israeli doctrine and concepts were developed through action, not with the grand theory that directs practice, but through practice that builds theory. And I think in that sense, as I mentioned earlier, Israeli intelligence might be even a bit more extreme. The intelligence culture might be even a bit more extreme 
than the strategic and military culture. Three organizations do not publish theoretical papers. I can tell you as a former practitioner, Israeli practitioners hardly read academic and theoretical studies. It's always about practice. The other issue, which I think Israeli intelligence is rather unique, is really the interaction between intelligence and policy. And here, I think it might be good to compare a bit to some of the American terms as a separation between intelligence and policy and speaking truth to power and the risks of politicization. In Israel, intelligence is very much integrated into policy, decision-making, and operations. If, and this is how I was trained, but I also find that out, found that out in the, uh, in the interviews I conducted, when confronted with some sort of dilemma between relevance and objectivity, usually Israeli intelligence officers choose relevance. By the way, the word objectivity, which is very much, much, I think, used in the American intelligence community, is hardly used in Israeli intelligence, neutrality sometimes. Now, in the Israeli intelligence community, for example, the heads of the three intelligence organizations, the chief of the defense intelligence, the director of Mossad, and the director of Shabak, are not only heads of intelligence services. They are practically the prime minister's strategic advisors. The director of the Mossad and director of Shabak are subordinate directly to the prime minister. The chief of the defense intelligence is subordinate to the chief of general staff, but actually serves as the intelligence officer of the Minister of Defense and also the Prime Minister. And intelligence officers in Israel are not only required, but even expected to provide recommendations for policy. Hmm. Now, this definitely has its pitfalls, many, many pitfalls. But interestingly enough, Jim, and this is quite interesting, you know, for the American intelligence community, I think, and also for the British one, the issue of politicization is a major trauma. In Israeli intelligence, there are other traumas. Of course, the trauma of the failure of the early warning in the Yom Kippur War in 1973, and the trauma of a lack of operational tactical intelligence is in what's called the Second Lebanese War in 2006. But surprisingly, politicization is not one of the major traumatic issues for Israeli intelligence. And that's a question. If intelligence is so much integrated and intertwined and embedded in policy and operations, why are there so few cases, as we know, of, of politicization in Israel? And that is a question I haven't really been able to, to answer. But the major, I would say, uh, even in, in the last few days, when there are talks about the maybe a new a nuclear deal between superpowers and the U.S. with Iran, you can see heads of Israeli intelligence organizations being quoted as discussing the implications for policy, not just the issue of what does it mean for the Iranian nuclear project, but what does this mean for Israeli national security? And I think this is very Israeli with its pitfalls and risks. Shapira, that's a fascinating point. What kind of impact does this have on Israel's dealing with WMD adversaries and other existential threats to Israel? I think that that's a very interesting topic because, again, the, the intelligence culture in many ways, it's really a reflection of strategic culture, political culture, organizational culture. In Israeli strategic culture, the issue of prevention, preventing existential threats from materializing, is a very dominant concept. One of the, I would say, illustrations of this is what is, in the last few decades, known as the Begin Doctrine. Menachem Begin was the Israeli prime minister in the late 1970s and early 1980s. And he founded a doctrine later named after him, 
saying that Israel uh, cannot afford or will prevent any adversary nuclear project in the Middle East. This is why Israel struck the Iraqi nuclear project in 1981, by the way, with no international support. And this is why Israel attacked the Syrian nuclear project in 2007. And as we now see currently, Israel constantly says it will prevent Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons. Now, the issue of prevention of existential threats from materializing has a long history. You can even go back to Israeli wars in 1967 and in 1956, but specifically to the issues of WMD, I think Israeli intelligence officers, whether they are like myself for, uh, in the military intelligence, and naturally, if they are in the Mossad, one of Mossad's roles is foiling adversary nuclear projects, not just providing intelligence about that, but foiling. If this is the atmosphere, if, if this is a strategic culture, I think that the influence over the intelligence culture and even over the system of beliefs and values that intelligence officers in Israel grow in is that it is not enough just to have good collection or great analysis about adversary nuclear projects. It is constantly a mindset of how these projects can be thwarted, can be foiled, meaning that Israeli intelligence not just tries to collect information and provide good analysis, but also has to conduct sort of analysis regarding the critical requirements of these adversary nuclear projects. And again, as I mentioned earlier, is expected to recommend action that must be taken. And Jim, I think it's interesting that this does not relate only to, you know, the directors of the intelligence organizations. You can find in Israeli newspapers, uh, rather uh, mid-level analysts, uh, captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, which are being interviewed. In Israel, by the way, they're always interviewed anonymously without their names. These are military intelligence officers. When they are interviewed, they explicitly speak not just about what's happening in Iran regarding the nuclear project, but what must be done. So I think relating to your question, if you combine the strategic culture and the dominance of, of prevention in that strategic culture, if you combine that with a basic state of mind of what I called in Israeli intelligence culture, action-oriented, the influence of that, of that is, I would say, even in the Israeli intelligence, very clear inclination towards providing intelligence that would help thwart and foil adversary uh, nuclear projects. And not everyone, by the way, in Israel always remembers that Israel was surprised by adversary nuclear projects, for example, about the Libyan one almost uh, 20 years ago. Currently, I think this is a, a state of mind that really influences the intelligence culture. Foiling adversary nuclear projects is a major, is a major mission, and adversary nuclear projects are treated in Israel as existential threats. I would mention, just to end this, that many other issues in Israeli national security are also considered existential. And this, of course, raises a question. WMD is existential. You have security and strategy professionals in Israel saying that precision-guided missiles are also an existential threat to Israel. So this raises a question. But regarding WMD, I think the, the culture is very much inclined towards, as I mentioned, action and prevention. Prevention is so dominant, and this is how I grew up, prevention. Shapiro, that's very uh, insightful thinking. Of course, Israel, since its birth, 
has been involved in countering terrorism. Can you apply that same thinking to Israeli counterterrorism operations? I think that, that counterterrorism, you know, it's been an, an ongoing challenge. And if you conduct some sort of, and I've tried to conduct this, not, not only in historical research, but even as some sort of genealogical research, you find out that many concepts used for strategic intelligence, for strategic analysis, for dealing with WMD projects, were first tested and developed in the field of counterterrorism. Mm. You know, since counterterrorism is a constant uh, challenge, there, the issue of action-oriented is, is almost natural. Again, earlier when discussing WMD, I spoke about Mossad. When you speak about counterterrorism, specifically counterterrorism inside or near Israel's border, you, deal, you discuss uh, Shabak. Shabak, which is a domestic intelligence agency, but actually an operational agency in charge of counterterrorism, counterintelligence, counterespionage, and counterinsurgency. And I think if you check all three organizations, how they deal with counterterrorism, Shabak, as I mentioned, which is a lead agency, the military intelligence, and also Mossad. Mossad is in charge of foiling and thwarting terrorist attacks against Israeli targets and interests outside of Israeli borders abroad. So in the field of counterterrorism, my sense is that the action-oriented approach and the integration of intelligence and policy, not just on the national level, but also on the operational tactical level, is even more dominant. And I just finished some sort of research about, uh, for example, how the Israeli defense intelligence has developed a rather unique, I would say, interaction between collection and analysis. I assume, by the way, that the, Israeli, the other Israeli organizations have developed similar models, but Mossad and Shabak are covert organizations by nature. There's hardly any open information. Anyway, over a few dec decades, a unique uh, concept has been developed in the Israeli defense intelligence regarding the integration of collection and analysis in processes, in products, but also in joint organizations. And it is now being used for different tasks, for hybrid uh, warfare, uh, and for strategic analysis. But if you want to start and look, where was that initially tested? This joint concept, if I can use, again, some American terms, the start was in tactical counterterrorism operations where I would say, I would argue, there is no choice but to integrate collection analysis. And there is no other choice but to integrate intelligence and operations. So I think many new concepts, since I mentioned earlier, Israelis don't like to develop theories. They like to practice and then inductively develop some sort of concept of operations. Theory, again, I mentioned is considered a bit impractical. The field of counterintelligence has provided the Israeli intelligence with many I would say opportunities to develop these new concepts based on jointness, action orientation, and again, integration of intelligence and policy and operations. That's a very interesting explanation. Uh, Shapiro, before we close, I have one more question for you, if you don't mind. Of course. We all know that Israel has a uh, national service requirement. In the United States, as you know, we have gone very modern in advertising the US intelligence community agencies in reaching out to students. You now apply to CIA online. What does Israel do? How do you communicate with students? How do you tell them about the intelligence agencies? How do you attract them to come into the intelligence agencies, not just for national service, but for a career? This is a very interesting topic. I would say that, you know, nat naturally things have changed. 
Perhaps 20 or 30 years ago, first of all, there is mandatory uh, military service, but this is for military intelligence, not for Mossad and Shabak. Mossad and Shabak, these are civilian careers. But probably 20 or 30 years ago, I would say no advertisement was really necessary. Israeli intelligence was, by the way, relatively speaking, I think Israeli intelligence in Israeli society writ large is still a myth, relatively speaking. This is a bit of an anecdote, Jim, but if I may, the Israeli military and the Israeli defense forces are being criticized in Israeli media and by commentators. Uh, Israeli intelligence agencies are hardly criticized. Hardly. It is still a myth. But I would say that 20 or 30 years ago, uh, probably uh, advertisement was not really, not really necessary. I think in the last few years, many things have changed because I would separate this between two issues. For the military intelligence, the great challenge was attracting talent relevant for cyber and for data science uh, skills. In that way, the military has an advantage. The military can pick, choose, select the best 17-year-olds or 18-year-olds. And in Israeli society, it is writ large a common understanding that if you have a good service, and we Israelis, by the way, Regarding the military, we call the military service, not a career. If you have a good and rich military service, for example, in units like 8200, the Israeli SIGINT unit, or the other technological units, this is not only a great service to your country. This is also a good foundation for a civilian career later in the you know, high-tech industry, and you know the high-tech field is rather developed in Israel. So the military, I think the major challenge is not the recruitment, but more the retention. Mm-hmm. How do you convince these 17-year-old and 19-year-old youngsters when they are 22 or 23? How do you convince them to remain in the military? And in that sense, I think that the Israeli military intelligence has come up with a good uh, combination, a bit of myth, Israeli intelligence as a myth, a bit of promise to your next civilian career, and yes, still, still, and this might be a bit weird to speak about this in 2022, a bit of values and ethics and service to your country. And I think it works uh, rather well. But of course, military intelligence does not deal only with cyber and data science. You still have to recruit you know, analysts and, and collectors. But since military intelligence has such a good technology, it's like, it's like a circle. If you attract good people, then it's easier to persuade good people to come. Mossad and Shabak, I think, have an even greater challenge because they do not aim for the 17 or 18-year-olds. They aim for the 30-year-olds who already have at least an academic, a minor or basic academic background. And there, I think that they have created a rather unique challenge in attracting good talent. First of all, technology. They usually, you know, advertise that this is not only the use of cutting-end technology, but the use of cutting-end technology for defense of the country. And again, I apologize for this a bit naive uh, approach, but this still works in 2022, defending your country through, through the cutting-end technology. And second, I think in Israeli society, the, Israel, the issue of, of national security is so vivid. By the way, some would say it is too much traditional military, a global pandemic for example, is definitely a threat to national security. But when you say to Israelis national security, they think military issues, counterterrorism. 
And I think Mossad and Shabak have, have been able, although it's a great challenge for them, to attract the Gurdia population, not actually, and I think this is a bit different than the US and even the UK, not through approaching the universities and the academia, but to, towards approaching the talent before they enter the private sector high-tech and then tell them, instead of entering the private sector, come to us. The salary naturally would be lower, but the values and the ethics and the service to your country. And I think this combination is rather working. It is a, a great challenge. And I think it is, becoming, it is becoming harder, definitely for recruiting cyber talent, data science talents, but also analysis talents and operations. Shabak and Mossad and also the Israeli military intelligence need operators. Intelligence in Israel is, is also about operations. And it's a great challenge, but I think in Israeli society, and with that, maybe I would end, there is rather an advantage that intelligence is still, relatively speaking, perceived as a myth and as the first line of defense. This is my humble perception. Well, this has been a very interesting and highly educational uh, conversation. I would like to thank Itai Shapira, thank you very much. the IDI, and Leicester University for a fascinating interview. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.